Yeah, this morning I, um, I want to start with a scripture, and it was very encouraging just to hear in worship some of the words coming through, um, because it's definitely going to lead into what I feel the Lord wants to say this morning. So maybe we can just put up that uh, verse in John chapter 1. Um, John chapter 1, verse 12. Right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, it says, Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Can just uh, leave that up there for a bit. Um, it was so beautiful just to hear that word in worship about Namile, my, that's my daughter, coming to me while I'm busy, you know, and the heart of God the Father to receive us uh, because of the relationship that we have with Him. Um, and this scripture is actually all about grace. This particular passage, there are many. But this is a, a surprising passage of grace in the Gospel of John. It's interesting that it's because of God, because of Jesus, that we have the right. He gave the right to become children of God. It's a privilege that we were given, the relationship with God. It's not something that we earned. When it talks about a natural descent, it doesn't matter which tribe you were born into, whether you're Greek or Jew or Gentile. It's not got to do with that. It's got to do with the gift of God, that because God gave his son, those who received his son were given the right to become children of God. Um, and so last week, um, I preached on the gift of salvation, uh, righteousness that comes by faith. And I was trusting the Lord this week, Lord, what would you like me to preach on Sunday? And he didn't move on. So I'm going to have to stay where I was last week and continue to speak about the grace of God, the gift of God, um, and the righteousness of God that comes by faith as opposed to work. And one of the things I've, I really feel God massaging into my own spirit is that it's the grace of God that makes us to be filled with joy. Joy only comes by grace. Joy is something you experience on Christmas Day when you get given something that you really wanted. Amen? <laughs> when you get given a gift that you weren't expecting, that you didn't deserve, it produces joy in your heart. It produces love, it, and, and it, it actually produces an excitement. You get excited when you get given something free. I got given something free in December, and I didn't stop telling it was a new surfboard, so I won't get into material things. But the point is, when you get given something that's precious, that you, you can't stop talking about it. And that's actually the, the response that the gospel produces in us. It produces joy. It produces this excitement that bubbles over that we can't stop talking about. Uh, but unfortunately, one of the things that happens over time is you forget that you're a child of God because of a gift. 
you begin to feel over time that in some way you've maybe merited it or you've earned it. And maybe it was the gift at the, at the beginning, but at least I've earned it since then. <laughs> but God wants to constantly bring us back to the good news of the gospel, which is that salvation and righteousness are gifts of God. And it liberates us and it fills us with joy and with genuine love. Um, and so the Bible is filled with, especially the New Testament, there's two books that I can think of in the Bible. The whole books are addressed to people who are going back to law. It's Galatians and Hebrews. There are many references in other books as well. But there's this tendency that we have as humans to start in grace and drift back to rule-keeping and trying to earn our own way. And that's a trap. It's a, it's a trap that produces death. And it's not just a trap for the Jews who were saved out of the law. It's also a trap for us. We have a natural tendency as humans to want to be able to claim credit for what we have. And it ruins the gift. It ruins the gift when it's no longer a gift. It actually steals all the joy out of it, all the fun out of it, when you start to try and earn your keep with God. Uh, it's not what produces the kind of joyful Christians that God is looking for. And so there's this kind of transactional Christianity that law-keeping produces, which is, God, I'll do the bit that you've asked of me, those sort of checklists that I'll tick the boxes, and an expectation that you will do what you, uh, what you, what you are expected to do for me. And, and I'll keep my side of the bargain, you keep your side of the bargain, and we'll both be happy. Law, the law produces that kind of relationship, which is actually not the kind of relationship which God wants for us. And so the title of this sermon is The Logos and the Law. The Logos and the Law. The Logos is just another name that the New Testament sometimes uses for Jesus. Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God. And so um, when the Bible speaks about salvation by grace through faith, it's talking about uh, forgiveness, but it's also it's talking about the free gift of righteousness. God gives us his righteousness. Now, the word righteousness has got two meanings in the New Testament. One is very simple. It just means simply to do what's right. The other meaning has got to do with your relational standing with God. It's got to do with your re what kind of relationship do I have with God? Am I in good standing? Uh, am I his enemy or am I his his friend. Do I have favor with God or have I fallen out of favor with God? And so the righteousness that comes by faith means that God has by a miracle through his son put us into right standing with God. Another way of saying it is he has made us children of God. How? By faith. Children of God is our new relational standing. We have found favor with God. We are children of God. And as we read in John it's by receiving Christ that we have been given the right to be called children of God. And it's obviously something that John loved to talk about because in another place he says, for that is what we are. That is what, it's like he's surprised. For that, we are children of God. For that is what we are. Can you believe it? We are now children of God and it's by faith. Um, and so righteousness, it's right standing with God. It's something that I'm given because of, of a gift of God. And so, um, I know I'm trading over some cliches here, but I feel like the Lord wants to break something off of us at the beginning of this new year. Part of the reset, I think, is a rediscovery of, of God, it's by grace, through faith. 
that I have this joy, that, that I have this privilege. And so um, I live a holy life. We are called to holiness. Why? Because we've been made holy. He made us holy first. And now we live as is right and fitting for the person that I now am. To use an analogy, if a pig had to have aspirations of becoming a princess, all his life, or not his, definitely have to be a woman to be a princess, all her life she dreamed of becoming a princess. And so what would be required for a pig to become a, pro, a, a princess? Well, it would take a lot more than just a bath, eh? Uh, <laughs> you, could, you could try a bath, but I don't think it would last long because pigs love mud. Princesses are not supposed to love rolling in the mud. So there you've got your first problem, that a pig by its very nature is unprincess-like. You can wash him up, you can put him in a, in a dress, put a tiara on his head, her head. But you're just never going to make a princess out of the pig. And the God, has, we are, find ourselves in exactly the same situation. How do you make a person, a human, a holy child of God when they are born intrinsically sinful with a love for mud, with a love for rolling in the mud and eating trash? How do you take that human, that sinful human, and make them a child of God. By being a child of God, that means you are a prince. You are a princess. You are royalty. But how do you make a pig a prince or a princess? It requires an act of God to be born again by faith so that he can transform us, restore us relationally, but make us holy by a work of his Holy Spirit. Amen? And it's because we have been made holy that we now live holy lives. Not only do we live holy lives, we love holy lives. We love holiness because we have been made holy, because we have become and are becoming like our Father who is holy. Does that make sense? The reason why it's, there's such a crucial distinction between works-based salvation and faith-based salvation is because works-based salvation produces insecurity, it produces despair, anxiety, and a lot of weariness. That's why this distinction is so crucial. You will become a tired, despondent, anxious, insecure person if your salvation is not firmly rooted in the grace of God which we access by faith. Faith-based justification produces joy. Why? Because it's a work of God. Look what he's done in my life, this free gift. It produces security and assurance because it's God working in me. And it produces peace that is not possible through works-based salvation. Amen. Is that cool? It's a good word. I'm saying so because it's God's word, not because I'm preaching it, just to clarify. In Romans chapter 4, it speaks about grace-based salvation. David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared to be righteous. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those 
whose sin is no longer counted against them by the Lord. There's somebody saved by grace. It, the first fruit is joy. Grace-based salvation produces love. One of the things I felt the Lord really impress on my heart is it's because we're saved by grace that we are gracious. If you slip into a works-based salvation, and it is, is easy to slide into it, you know what happens? You become ungracious. Because if you've worked very hard for your salvation, you hold yourself to a very high standard. You're very hard on yourself when you fall short of that standard. And you're also very hard on other people when they fall short of your standard. And so you become ungracious. One of the first signs that you've slipped into works-based salvation is you become ungracious towards yourself and ungracious towards other people. I don't know if it's if the world's changing or if social media is changing, but it feels like the world we're living in is becoming increasingly ungracious <laughs> and intolerant and hard on others and vindictive and cruel and nasty and unkind and ungracious, not believing the best, not giving people not only what they deserve, but more than what they've earned. The first thing to go when you lose grace is you lose the ability to be gracious towards others. Grace-based salvation is generous. It's not stingy. When you're trying to merit your salvation and earn your way into God's good books, you actually become like an orphan. And an orphan spirit is selfish because it's got to do with self-preservation. Because if I don't get what's coming to me, and if I don't scrap for it, I'm going to starve. But grace-based salvation is generous. Like the Father, heart of God is generous, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is a generous, gracious God. And when we embrace his salvation by faith, we become gracious and generous and unselfish. When we embrace grace-based salvation, we become assured and affirmed in God's love for us. And it produces secure Christians. Children that are well-loved by their parents are secure. They are not insecure because they are constantly reminded of the love that they have continually from their father, from their mother. And Christians who are immersed in the goodness and grace, grace of God and the Father of God and His love for them, they are secure. And secure people are, are, are a pleasure to be around. Because they're not constantly trying to win your approval uh, and, and, and becomes a bit weird. And so there's a shift that happened. And we can see it in John chapter 1, verse 1. Seems like we're not getting out of the chapter 1 in John this morning. But this is another great one. John chapter 1. This is... Now, I mentioned that the title of the sermon is The Logos and the Law. This is the famous passage on the Logos. It's translated as Word. Can you see Word is written with a capital W? That's because it's talking about Jesus. And the word, Word, is is, is a deliberate wordplay that John is using. I'll explain that a little bit more. But let's just read the passage for now. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now listen to this. In him, in the Logos, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So for some reason only known to John, he chooses to use a word, logos, which was very rich in meaning in Greek philosophy. And that's another whole sermon on its own. And he chooses to use that word with reference to Jesus. But to just cut the whole story short, essentially what it means is the wisdom of God became flesh. The wisdom of God. So in the Old Testament, God revealed his wisdom through prophets, through the law, through the temple. He revealed his wisdom in lots of different ways. In the New Testament, the logos, the wisdom of God, took on flesh. And here you have a person, Jesus, his son, who perfectly represents the wisdom of God. You have the grace of God. Take flesh. God's grace is his generous heart. It's, it's his willingness to show mercy. It's his willingness to be generous towards us. And then we have in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus is the grace of God taken flesh. And he's also the nature of God. The personhood of God takes flesh. The very nature of God perfectly demonstrated uh, for all to see by looking into Jesus. And so there's this transition in the revelation of God from the, the law of God, which was revealed, the Bible says, given by angels, to God's Son, the Logos, the perfect representation and, and, and revelation of the nature of God, the Logos taking flesh. And why is that? Because He is the promise that God made. He is the fulfillment of the promise that God would become Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because God had in mind for us to have a living, life-giving relationship with His Son. So it's interesting, there's this change, the shift in allegiance from obedience to the law to obedience to the Logos, which is His Son. But not only is it obedience to His Son, it's life through His Son. It's a life-giving relationship with his son. And as we lean into Jesus, we derive our life from him. Now this is essentially, this is crucially important because the Bible says that if we drift into the law, law keeping, rule keeping, it kills. The Bible says the law kills, the spirit gives life. The law kills, but spirit, Jesus, the Logos, the Lord, our Savior, gives life. Life, As we switch our allegiance to Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, the long-promised Son, He gives life. And I want to just read a few things Jesus said about it Himself. It's the famous I Am statements of Jesus. They perfectly, I think, summarize how it is that we get our life from the Logos, from Jesus. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. What does that mean? It means just like our bodies survive, they crave food. Our souls need nourishment from Christ himself. Our souls find their food in Christ. 
and He nourishes our hearts. He nourishes our souls. That longing that we have for something that we didn't know what it was until we found Christ. And we find nourishment for our souls in Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. I think there's a reference here to the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert. It's this incredible assurance of knowing that God's presence is with me. He's leading me. He knows where he's going. And by following him, I find my direction. I find security. I find meaning and direction and safety and security from following God who knows where he's going. All the way through this life, until the day I die, I follow Christ. And he leads me as the pillar of fire did. He said, I am the gate. I am the gate. I am the gateway. I am the way to the Father. I am the way God has provided to come into the presence of God. Is that my notes? He said, it's only through me. No other way to the Father but through me. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he intentionally said, the good shepherd. Because Israel had had many shepherds up till that point, but they hadn't all been good. And he, but he's the good shepherd. He said, I lay down my life. For my friends, I put you before me. I provide for your needs. I care for you. I heal you. I protect you. I lead you like a good shepherd. All of these things come not as we lean into the law and a transactional, weird kind of relationship, but as we lean into Jesus, the Logos, our Savior, our Shepherd, our King. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Interesting. The law, the Bible says, brought a curse. Not because the law was bad, but because we couldn't keep the law. Brought about a curse. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. His sacrifice, his atonement, brought us hope and a promise of resurrection that just as he was raised from the dead, we too are raised and we will be raised to life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the true vine. That really feels like a significant word for us in this year, in this month. Jesus is the true vine. What does that mean? It, mean it, it means that as you remain in Christ, as you trust in him, as you listen to him, as you lean into him by faith, as you obey the voice that he speaks into your ear, that he will do something in you by his grace that you could not do on your own. You will become fruitful. Your life will start to show the peace and the love and the righteousness of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit that you cannot produce apart from the vine, Jesus himself. Amen? The Bible says the law kills. Why does, why does the law kill? Because it gives you this dying sense on the inside that no matter how hard you try, I'm always falling short, and therefore I always feel condemned, and therefore I always feel excluded from the presence of God, and therefore I always feel alone and lonely, and I always feel this, this sense of discouragement. That's why the law kills. Obviously, it also sends you to hell, <laughs> which is the second death, which is the most final kind of death that you can get, because no one can perfectly keep the law. But, but grace is a gift of God. It's a gift that produces joy. 
It's a gift that produces love and gratitude and worship. There was a beautiful phrase, and I'm, I'm sort of coming into land now, but there was a beautiful phrase in one of the songs that we sang. But I really feel for us this year, one of the things we need to reset, probably several, but one of the things we need to reset is that God loves a free will offering. That's one of the reasons why he gave us the new covenant. He doesn't want us to live by compulsion. He doesn't want us to live from a sense of religious duty. He wants us to live from a place of a free will offering, that in response to his grace, in response to his love, I freely give him my love, my allegiance, my faith, my faithfulness, my obedience. He loves a free will offering. And I feel like this morning, God wants us to remind, he wants to remind us of that. That's the kind of relationship that he's called us into. And so that song, I Surrender All, it's the response of a heart that is fallen in love with Christ. That God, I surrender. I'm not compelled to do this. But in response to your grace, in response to your love, I surrender my life. Would you take my life? Would you use it for your glory? Um, A response of joy, a response of gratitude and thankfulness to the heart of a loving Father. The Bible says that if we seek him with all of our heart, he will allow us to find him. Not a book of rules, but him, his person. The joy that his relationship, his person is to us. I want to encourage you this morning, I want to provoke you to push past a weird kind of transactional kind of Christianity. I do my bit and he does his bit. That's not what God promised us in the new covenant. He promised us himself. And he said, if you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, relationship with me. And in me, in Christ, you will find life, true life, that joy, overflowing life and love and grace. Amen? I feel like God wants to provoke us this morning. You know, one of the things that we repent of, the book of Hebrews tells us, is dead works. We actually repent of dead works, and I feel like we might need to do that this morning. And what, what does it mean to repent of dead works? Re- to repent of dead works means to say, God, I'm sorry for doing lots of good things to try and earn your favor, to try and earn your approval, to try and earn my way into your good books. We don't, we don't do good works to earn his approval. He made us a son, a daughter, by faith. And because we are holy, by his grace, we live holy lives. Amen? Because I am a child of God, I love to do the things God does. I love the things that he loves. And I, and I do the work of my father. Why? Because he's my father. And I am now his son, his daughter. And so to repent of dead works means to say, God, I'm sorry for doing things out of a sense of religious obligation. That's not the new covenant. New covenant is by grace. And God working powerfully in me to do what he has predestined me to do. Amen? Amen. I'd love for us to just close in time of prayer, but maybe to do a little bit of business with the Lord. I think it's not a condemnation to say, but we do often slip into a weird law-keeping, earn-my-own-way kind of uh, Christianity, and it kills. It's not just unhelpful. It kills. It kills joy. It kills 
the kind of life and love that God, and the first thing to go is a gracious spirit. <laughs> cool, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have called us sons and daughters, and what a joy. That is what we are. We are children of God now. What a privilege, what a joy, what a miracle that a pig became a princess. God, by your grace. And Lord, I pray that if in any way the enemy has turned our hearts from the joy and the privilege that it is to receive the free gift of righteousness and in any way tainted our hearts to striving and to earning and to dead works, God, would you just highlight that right now? Help us to return to have, after having started in grace that we wouldn't slip into works-based salvation. Lord, it's bondage, and we don't want any part of it. Would you just search us right now? Why don't we just open up our hands and say, Lord, would you search me? Would you know me, Lord? Would you, by your Spirit, prompt me to, to live a life in response to grace? May we find your life this morning, this month, this year. May we live from a place of grace. Would we be a gracious, loving, generous people, Lord? May we be known for our love. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.